Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We will now go forward. Uh, Pastor Jeff will be sharing the message with you, and we will start with a short video. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to accept Christ in front of everybody right now. Then I'm going to go home and snort drugs until I don't want to do them anymore. And that was my way of thinking. So I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, and put her in front of the TV. I remember I grabbed a $100 bill. I always used a $100 bill for some reason, pride or something. I chopped up my crystal meth, got it all smooth and powdery. And I snorted a big old line, and I held the bill, and I looked up, and I said, Jesus, if you're real like that pastor said, then you got to take these drugs from me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And I just got quiet. I said, search me right now. Search my heart. And I stayed silent. And I said, you know I want to quit. You know I want to be a good dad for this kid. She lost her mother to drugs. And she's going to lose me if I don't quit. Amen. There's a high when you go on stage and you see all these people, like, just loving your music and loving you and stuff. And there's these girls and all these people going, (sighs) worshiping me. When you see all those people just going nuts for you, it's like, you know, it, it puffs you up inside. You're like, you know. I'm important. That's where drugs can creep in and, you know, cocaine or whatever, methamphetamines crept in. And it all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends. And uh, it seems like fun in the beginning. It's a lie because it, it it turns around on you. It starts to wear on your personality. It starts to wear on your relationships. And everything is affected by it negatively. Everything. Good morning, Crosswalk. I am so excited for this message. My name is Pastor Jeff, and along with Pastor Dan, I'm one of the two teaching pastors here at Crosswalk. Welcome to everyone again, especially to our guests this morning. We're excited that you're here. I want to ask you to pull out the Crosswalk notes that are inside your program. There's a little special note about them today. I did something a little bit different. I provided the fill-ins for you, but... Here's the deal. Still have your pen ready because I'm going to give you some other things to write down on your program, even though the fill-ins are done. I'm just trying to make those people happy that that, uh, meet me after the service and say, I missed a fill-in. I just, you know, I wanted you to have them. Just kidding. All right. You know who that was? Brian Welch. Brian Welch. He was the lead singer for many years for a rock band called Korn. Very, very popular band in the 90s. And uh, wow, just a rocker. And he is a brother in Christ, as you're going to learn today. And so I wanted to introduce him to you because what he said there at the end of that clip that you just heard is so true. Our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups affect everything. And notice he said, everyone around us. You see, this is true and we know it. Sometimes we don't always pay attention to it, but our actions affect others. A lot of times we like to think our actions only affect us, but that is not true. What I do affects the people that love me and the people that I love. And when we get involved with hurts or habits or hang-ups, things like addictions, that can destroy so much. And, and what I loved about what Brian said there was it didn't even really start with the addiction. He said, it started when my head started to go, because I had all this admiration and pride. And I began to think, it's all about me. And that's where it really starts for all of us when we get filled with ourselves and we forget that 
that this life is not us living all by ourselves in our own little corner, but that everything that we think, do, and say, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups affect those that we love and those that are around us. And sometimes what, where it all ends up is in a, in a shattered, broken, demolished relationship. Sometimes where it ends up, and we're going to see this with Brian a little bit later on in the service, is is a relationship that you and I, quite frankly, would love to annihilate instead of resuscitate. And so we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this because I know that I have some of those relationships in my life that have gotten annihilated, some of them due to my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, some of them due to the other person's. And the question always becomes, how can we resuscitate that relationship? How can, we, how can we make a difference? Is there anything, is there any light of hope that that relationship could somehow be revitalized, revived, brought back to life? And we want to try to tackle some of those questions this morning. And we're going to talk about a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And the interesting thing about this letter is that there were so many broken, shattered relationships in this church family. The place where you'd think, that's not going to happen in a church, is it? And it is. A church family that is broken in its relationships because of things that are going on inside of it. And Paul starts this. You've heard this passage before. I guarantee you that if this is your first time here at Crosswalk and you're our guest, if you have ever been to a wedding, you have heard this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that we're going to be studying today because this is that beautiful, poetic passage about love that pastors love to read and that couples love to have in their wedding. You know what's interesting? When Paul originally wrote this, He wrote it, and it had nothing to do with marriage or family. Well, not family in the traditional blood sense. When he originally wrote this chapter on love, it was was written to a broken, shattered church family. Uh, A family that he had helped give birth to. Obviously, it was the Holy Spirit that had truly given birth to it, but he was the apostle. He was the missionary that had made the very first whistle stop in Corinth to get this congregation established and started. This was his baby. And as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, Paul would often stop, and then after a few months or maybe a year or two, he would leave, he would move on and establish another congregation and then another congregation. And his own way, only way of communicating back to, the, to this first congregation spiritual child of his was through these letters that we find in the New Testament. And he's received word that this congregation is literally dissolving, it's falling apart at the seams because of all the different conflict and trouble that's going on. But what he says, and there's a reason why this is read at at weddings. What he says to this church family, obviously applies to us as a church family, but it does also apply to your, your nuclear blood family. It applies to your marriage, to your relationship with your children, to your relationship with your parents, to your relationship with your partners and co-workers at, at, in your place of business, to your relationship with your neighbor, the person that lives next door to you. These are words that, as Paul says in this very first verse, teach us a most excellent way to rebuild and revitalize relationships that have gotten shattered in our life. Take a look at 1 Corinthians twelve thirty one. It's at the, the very top of the page. Notice Paul says this, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And the reason he starts that way in this chapter is one of the issues that, that is causing contention in the, this church family is people saying, I have a better gift than you do. God has given me the gift to speak in tongues, and that is awesome, and that is amazing, and that shows that I'm a real Christian. I'm sorry you didn't get that gift. That's too bad for you. And Paul has to come in, and he has to literally teach them, first of all, just about making comparisons like that, but but also what the actual order of gifts is, in 
in God's mind. Not what I think is the best gift, but what God says is the best gift. And you know what's so interesting about this? Paul, when he teaches this, says, you want to know how to evaluate giftedness or talents? It's not the talents that look showy on the outside, like speaking in tongues. It's not the talents like tongues because, first of all, speaking in tongues is something that is done only to build yourself up, Paul says, which is great. We want you to be built up. But that, that means that it's at the bottom of the list because it really only comes back to yourself. You, you want to know what the greater gifts are? Gifts like teaching. Gifts, gifts like helping and, and loving on another person because those gifts build not only you up, but build up the rest of the family. And those are the greater gifts. And that's why he starts out here with, hey, if you're going to play the comparison game, at least understand how God orders the gifts and desire those gifts that are really going to help you display and demonstrate love and build others up, not just yourself. And then he goes on and he says, so yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now I gave you the fill-ins, but I told you, that that's not where it ends today. So take your pens out. I want you to underline or circle or star these four words, the most excellent way. You see, because there are other ways, aren't there? And we've probably lived those other ways, many of us. I know I have. Ways that don't work so excellently. And, and I want to take us through a short list of seven of these. And really, they all boil down, in essence, to one thing, which is, and here you can write this, this down, not on the same page. First of all, as I, I was just saying, sometimes we, we, get, we get off the same page with people that we love and people that we have relationships, even business relationships, and... and uh, it's all because of comparisons. Why can't you be like me? Or a parent might say, well, why can't you be like child number one? Or, or why can't, sometimes we take it on ourselves. Why can't I be like him? Or why can't I be like her? And we do all these comparisons. Why can't I, what I, why can't I have the wealth that they have? Or the intelligence that they have? Or the, the gift for music? Or the athletic gift that they have? And we, and we rate each other and we rate ourselves on the basis of these comparisons. You know what's so horrible about that? First of all, God says, just don't do it. Stop comparing yourself to one another, God says in the Bible. Stop comparing yourself to one another. Because I've made all of you different. I knit you together in your mother's womb. But there's a reason why God says stop comparing yourself to one another. If I compare myself to you, and in my own mind, I come out on top, where does that lead? To the, to the worst sin of all, the sin of pride. I start to think I'm all that because I can, I can tell myself, well, at least I'm... I'm better than. And when in those comparisons, I end up on the short end. You know where that leads? The feelings of horrible inadequacy to feeling like, you know what? I am never going to please these people. I'm never going to be good enough. I, I just cannot cut the mustard no matter how hard I try. Now, do you think either pride or deep feelings of inadequacy are going to help? In a relationship? Not in the least. So here's what I want you to write down next to making comparisons. That always leads either to pride or a feeling of inadequacy. And that is not going to help. Another place is you're not on the same page. We see this a lot in our church. Um, very damaging where one uh, spouse will be a fan of the Arizona Cardinals, wear the jersey, park in front of the TV on a Sunday afternoon, and another will be following and loyal to another team, which we need to get that straightened out in our church family for sure. Okay, just kidding. That's not the kind of loyalties he's really talking about. What about the order of love? 
Do you know who God wants you to be most loyal to? Because, boy, I see this a lot sometimes where people, they're not even really sure where their loyalties should lie. Should my loyalties lie with my parents and the extended family? Should, I, should they be first? Should, should my loyalties be right here to my wife, to my spouse, to my husband? Should they be first? Or, oh, I mean, it's clear. The children, they're small. They always have to come first. And then you have these conflicting loyalties. You know, dad says, it's the children. They come first. And the wife says, huh, we've got this extended family we have to pay attention to. Or, or we need to be on the same page and, and love each other first. Do you, do you know how often not understanding, not being on the same page about who deserves your first, second, and third loyalties can get you off track in a relationship? Happens at work too, doesn't it? Who am I really supposed to be loyal to in this workplace? And then you get all these office politics going on. And like, well, are you loyal to him? Are you loyal to them? Or, and, and it creates a mess. How about conflicting moral values? This, this one t- took me back to when I was assistant principal at Arizona Lutheran Academy. And, and one of my most fun things as assistant principal was to be in charge of the discipline, which meant that I was in charge of the dress code. Oh, every assistant principal loves being in charge of the dress code because as being a generation or maybe a generation and a half ahead of a 16-year-old, the moral value of modesty might be read a little bit differently. And what I think is modest might not be what a 16 or 17-year-old young lady thought was modest at the time. And those conversations, oh my goodness. You see, and and that happens not just in high schools, it happens in families. I I sometimes see families where one person grew up in in a, a family and their whole family culture was scrupulously honest. And this was held up as a very strong moral value. And over here comes the guy, and he grew up in a family which was honest, but you know what? A little white lie here or there slipped by and spare people's feelings. You know, you just, you tell a little white lie. And, and then this person's like, white lie? There's no such thing as a white. What's a white lie? That's a lie. A, a white lie is a lie. And this person's like, I was just trying to, Spare someone's feelings. And, and you're not on the same page about moral values. And, and you see it in the business world where money has to be handled. And, and how scrupulously honest and careful. Or what about work ethics? Right here in our church family, sometimes we get people working together on ministry teams and they have different work ethics that they've been brought up with or that they've adopted. And one's like, I work hard and I keep all my commitments. And another person is, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I try to keep my commitments and I, I do my best, but sometimes things slip by. Chill, dude. And that person is really, really upset because this person is not on the same page. And that person is like, are they crazy? They understand this is a volunteer position. We, I mean, and so in every kind of area, you can find conflicting moral values, and that can can hurt relationships. What about conflict? Don't you just love conflict? I think most of us love to get in a good fight, don't we? Now I'm Scottish and I'm Irish. I love nothing better than a good fight. If I had not been a pastor, I think I would have been an attorney. But a lot of people, I've discovered, don't particularly care for conflict. I don't know why. It seems so much fun to me. But they avoid it like it was the plague, right? And actually, if you want to know the truth, I get it. Because I don't, I, I don't really like to fight all that much. And have you ever pulled this strategy? Like this happened all the time when I was growing up. 
huge blow up because we were avoiding conflict and avoiding conflict and and stuffing it and stuffing it and stuffing it, right? Until one day, one little thing, the straw that breaks the camel's back, it's put on the scale. Bam, a huge explosion. And you're fighting and you're yelling and you're screaming at one another. And you're just that far away from the fist flying. And it ends, and you separate, you each go your way, and you see each other the next day, and the person is all, hey, how you doing? And like, it didn't get solved, you didn't fix it, you didn't come to a conclusion, but their strategy is, let's pretend it never happened. Drives you nuts, and well, it should. Because the pretending it never happened without resolving the conflict is not resolving the conflict. It's just going back to the stuffing strategy that didn't work in the first place. So conflict poorly resolved, you know what it does? It, it takes the stuff of your life that makes you upset and it, and it places them in your heart. And, and then another one and another one and another one and none of them ever get taken out because you haven't ever resolved any of them. And then one day this happens. One of you leaves the cap off the toothpaste and somehow that gets into divorce court. Like, how did that happen? We're in divorce court because she left the the cap off the toothpaste and he's like this really anal person that has to have the cap on the toothpaste? No, it's not because of the cap. It's because one by one, you've stuffed all these things in your heart and left them unresolved. And now you don't know what else to do but go to court. Clashes over rights and freedoms. Man, if you've ever raised a teenager, clashes over rights and freedoms, are you kidding me? Like I remember when my kids were... 15, 16, 17, 18, right? And they're growing up and they're, they're becoming independent, but I'm their dad. I'm like, no, no, I liked it better when you were five and six and seven. And no, you're not taking the car and the keys and staying out all night with your friends. I'm controlling this. And they're like, dad, come on. Like I'm, I'm 18. I, I have a right. I'm, I'm grown up. And I'm like, shut up. You don't have any rights here. You might in the United States of America, but not in this house. <laughs> and then, okay, I, I have to switch teams here. Because I remember, I was a high school assistant principal. I do have a love for teenagers. So I, I, I do get it. Like when the parents are hovering over controlling, over protective parents. Like, like I was a little bit that. And parents, you know, your kids are going to grow up. And if you don't let them grow up, if you don't let them take on some responsibility, guess what happens? When it comes to college time, they're going to choose a college that is not in this state or any state surrounding this state. And they're going to move far away from home, and they're going to go, thank God I'm free. Free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. And they're going to do whatever they want. Because they've never learned to accept some responsibility. And you've never trusted them to accept some responsibility. And grow and learn from their mistakes. Clashes over rights and freedoms. We see it all the time in our society, don't we? And differences of faith and beliefs. Can I tell you right now? especially young couples. Love does not always conquer all, not the love between the two of you. I I know you believe it will. But if you have differences of faith and beliefs, those over time can, can grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Wait till you have your first child. And now you've got to make decisions like, are we going to go to church or not go to church? And one of you wants to go to church badly. That's how you were raised. That's what you believe. You love Jesus. And your spouse is like, I, 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 
I don't want anything to do with that God stuff. Every time I was in church, it was all about guilt and shame. God can see over there, I'm staying over here. You see, those differences can loom large later on. And so understand that we, these are things that we, we have to work at being on the same page on or else they are going to shatter our relationships. Now, I want you to guess where I got this list. Think you can guess? Some of you are thinking, well, he, hmm, he had, did he have a camera in our house for the last month? And some of you are thinking, uh, he hacked into our Ancestry.com website, didn't he? Some of you are thinking, I've heard about Pastor Jeff's family. He just, he just you know, went back and talked about stuff from his own family. And you would be right. But that is really not where this list came from. This list came from the book of 1 Corinthians. Every one of these things was taking place inside that church family. And so now can you see why this was such a broken down church family of shattered relationships of people saying, is there any hope? Is there any way for us to come back together as a church family to revitalize these relationships, to to renew them again and get back to where Jesus brought us in the first place and that's together as one? And that's why Paul says, let me show you the most excellent way. There is a way of life that, that goes far beyond all the others. And Paul starts it, He starts it in a very interesting way. He recognizes that when we have broken and shattered relationships, our first impulse is to rush in and do something about it ourselves. And and we ask certain questions. I, I put those down. So skip past the passage for a moment. And look what's next on bold at the bottom of the first page. You see, this is the first direction our, our mind and our heads go. I think there's something I can do about this. If I just rush in and I, I work this problem, I know that there are certain actions I can take and we can fix this broken relationship. And some of us think, no, 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 if I just have something more. If we, if we just had enough money and there weren't so many financial pressures, that would fix this. I've heard young couples repeatedly say, I think think if we just had a baby together, that would solve this relationship deal, this, this fight that we've got, this thing. I've heard people say, well... If if we just had more, like, get our extended family, we have that, let's get them involved. It's not about what you have. And the last thing, there there's a certain number of people in every crowd this size that are martyrs. That really, really believe that they can fix anything because they are willing to go the distance and make sacrifices, sometimes huge sacrifices in order to save broken and shattered relationships. Some of you have actually done that. You have given and given and given and sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed for the sake of a relationship and it still got shattered and broken apart. You still ended up with a child that didn't love you, with a parent that didn't care about you, with a date and divorce court, even though you made all those sacrifices. And you might be a little bitter and angry about that today sitting here. Now let's go back to the passage. If what I do, this is where Paul starts. For example, if what I do is I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, what I do is going to amount to nothing. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If what I have, say, for example, I have the gift of prophecy and, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a, a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And Paul could have added, if I have, if I have more money and if I have a bigger house, 
And if I have more relatives involving themselves or, or any of the things that, that you might list, if I have a baby in my arms, if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I make sacrifice after sacrifice until I have nothing, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know what we have to conclude from that passage? The most excellent way of life is not about what I can do. It's not about what I have or about what sacrifices I've made. In fact, it's not about me at all. You see, you can try ever so hard. But this is why I know that you're here. And at least it's why I hope that you're here. That, that you have tried all those three things. You've done things and you've had things and you've sacrificed things and you've, you've realized that's not it. That's not, that's not cutting it. I, I want to show you another video clip of Brian because as his life moved forward, he had to come to that same realization. It's not about what I do or what I have or what sacrifices I make. It can only be not about me, but about Jesus. Take a look at this clip. There was a a few times where life seemed good. My daughter, Janae, she came into the world and I was like, it was just such a, a euphoric feeling. I thought my life could just feel like that forever, you know? It was like a, it was spiritual, just... I didn't know what was happening. I just felt so much love just fill my emotions. And I thought I was going to be happy, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. I hit rock bottom. I had swore that I would never do methamphetamines again because I saw what it did to my child's mother. It, it just took her feelings away and made her leave her kid. I just wanted her dead. I wanted to kill her. I thought she was a scum of the earth. And, uh, you know, how could she do drugs like that and let, it, let the drugs win her like that? So I never was going to do meth again. I ended up with a everyday crippling addiction to methamphetamine and everything that I said about my ex-wife came true for me. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think of. I would spend time with my kid and I'd still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and snort meth and then take her to school or whatever. It was just, I was a junkie. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff. And then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer just crazy. send me drugs through through the mail. I'd be tweaked out in my hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. It's just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. Janae had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember me. her skipping around the house She's singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing All Day I Dream About Sex. And uh, I'm going to die. See, he had a baby in his arms and he thought this feeling would never go away, but it did. It's not about what you have. It's not about what you do. It's not about what sacrifices you make. Ultimately, what Brian is teaching us is when we go down that path, it just leads to further destruction. So what is the answer? How do we resuscitate relationships that today I might say I want it annihilated, not resuscitated? How do we revitalize a relationship that is dead in the water? How do we piece it back together when it's that shattered? Let's go to page two. And Paul tells us, here is the most excellent way to revitalize your relationships. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will, it will pass away. You know, in there, if you read it carefully, you see that, that Paul is teaching us the attitudes of love. And, and he's teaching us the, the habits of love that go beyond just the attitudes. And he's teaching us how long we have to practice the exercise of love. It doesn't fail. You just keep going back to the love gym and practicing your love and practicing your love and persevering in it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, and I think about some of the relationships in my own life, that that set of words becomes like a mirror to me. And I look inside that mirror and I go, oh, my goodness. Now I see why these relationships have gotten shattered because that is not looking in the mirror. I don't look anything like that. I have failed. I have fallen short. If this is what love is, I have sinned. I have not loved God this way. I have not loved my neighbor this way. Honestly, looking at this passage as a mirror is brutal because it shows me how far short I've fallen. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. And then I, I, I like to look at it a different way too, like a, like a compass. And I want you to write these words down. So next to that passage, would you write, when I look at it as looking in a mirror, and then question mark, what do I see? And I, I hope you see that maybe you've fallen somewhat short. Otherwise, m- maybe there's a different issue we'd want to talk about. But now I want you to write, after you, after you write, when I look at these words as in a mirror, then I, then I want you to go down in number two. You can just change the last three, uh, four words, as in a compass. So now I'm using it to guide me. These are, this is why it's, it's used at weddings. Because when you look at these words as a way to guide my love and to show me how to love, Wow. This is, this is the pastor saying to that beautiful young couple, here's, here's the culture we want to see under your roof. This is, let these words guide you. Let them be your compass. And of course, they can be our compass more than for just in marriage, but our business relationships, our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our children, our brothers, our sisters, our church family relationships, which is what it was really originally intended for. They're beautiful words to look at as looking in a compass. Here's the way to go. But my favorite way of looking at these words, it's hard to look at them as in a mirror. As a compass, it's better. But my favorite way to look at these words as in looking at a portrait. So write that down, at a portrait. A portrait of whom? God is, can anyone fill in the blank? Love. This is a portrait of God. John the Apostle tells us in the Bible, God is love. And when we look at this, you know what we're seeing? We're seeing a portrait of Jesus. We're seeing a portrait of God. And I want you to do this. I'm going to continue to have you write. So wherever you see the word love, I want you to write above that word Jesus. So I'll read through it again. You just follow along. This is a portrait of Jesus, your Savior. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps, he keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Is this not awesome to know that this is your Savior? The one who is your Lord says, my love for you will never fail. I'm going the distance for you. And I'm patient. I know you sin. I know you fall far short. Just look in the same passage as a mirror. You're going to know that you fall short, but I'm here. And I lived all this for you in your place. Do you not see what I've done for you? You know, when I read this passage, I just want to go back here and just hug this cross. Because this cross tells me how deeply Jesus loves me and how far he is willing to go for me, for you. To say my love for you is never going to end. It's faithful. And if I have to give up my very life, my divine human life for you, to pay for your sins, to make sure you're forgiven, and most of all, to destroy the shattered, broken, demolished, annihilated relationship that existed between you and the Heavenly Father, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to revitalize that relationship between you and God the Father by bleeding and dying for you on the cross and by by rising from the grave three days later. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus does for you and me. And that's why Jesus can say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The most excellent way of life is about us following Jesus. You see, he is how we know what love is. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for you to save you, to win you, to give you life here, today, now, to take you out of your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups and put your feet back on solid ground again. He gave his life for you so that he could offer you as a completely free gift everlasting life in heaven. Jesus laid down his life for us. Remember on the first page when I said, uh, it's not about what I do or what I have or the sacrifices I make. Can you go back there? Because in this passage it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, now, as we cling to the cross and take in this amazing, faithful love of Jesus Christ for us, as we absorb this portrait of love that is Jesus, now, guess what? There are things that you can do in him, in his strength, in his power, with him living inside your heart that can help change and reestablish a broken relationship. There are things that you can have and sacrifices that you can make. What can you do, first of all, if you, if you have a relationship that you want to revitalize, number one thing you can do is just follow Jesus. Trust in him. Take that relationship to him in prayer. Go to him and ask for his help. Help. What do you have? Well, first of all, never, ever, ever forget you have forgiveness for the things that you've done to break a relationship. You have his constant and consistent and persevering faithful love that never fails. You have his wisdom and his truth. And what sacrifices can you make? Well, here's the biggest one. The biggest and most painful sacrifice that you can make to revitalize a shattered relationship is to offer forgiveness. And let me warn you, just as it hurt Jesus to the point of losing his life to win forgiveness for all of us, I'm not going to claim that forgiving someone who has deeply hurt you is going to be pain-free, not at all. In fact, just the opposite Anytime injustice is done to us and we have to forgive or we want to forgive, that is going to involve pain, and it is not easy. 
Anytime we have to go to another person in order to revitalize a relationship because Jesus is now alive in our hearts and say, you know what? I messed up. I sinned against you and I am sorry and I take responsibility for that and I'm going to work hard to make sure that never happens again. Please forgive me. That's painful. It's going to take some sacrifice to say things like that. You might have to give some things up to make things right. There may be sacrifices there. If you want to revitalize the the broken relationships in your life, the way Jesus paid the highest price and made the greatest sacrifice to revitalize your relationship with the Father. Brian, what an amazing story. And I'm going to close out today's message by showing you a final clip of just this. When did things get better? Simple. When he did one thing. When he followed Jesus. When did things get better? When he realized that I have his love and his forgiveness, his mercy, grace, his peace. And we made a few key sacrifices as well, as you'll see. Father, my uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. And I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I, f- I felt the scripture like jump out at me. I've never done this before. You know, so I don't really know how to do this. But I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but the, you know, they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and. I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father. I felt so much fatherly love from, from heaven. And it was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love. And instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up, and she's like, for me? You know, she felt so special, and uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean, houses, cars. I tried drugs, I tried sex, I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true, but it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by him. And we're created to be with him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life because you don't have to look anywhere else. And you're exactly where you need to be. And the question about life is answered. I'm Brian Head Welch, and I'm second. that not an amazing story? And you know what? 
It's a story about Brian Head Welch, band leader of the band Corn, but it is much more the story of Jesus Christ and what he did in Brian's heart and life. And do you know that Jesus has that same story in his heart for you? I want you to go home today knowing Jesus has that same story in his heart for you. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have a story in your heart for us, a loving and kind and forgiving and merciful story, a powerful story of your death on a cross and your rising from the grave three days later that was meant to redeem us and rescue us and heal us broken in our hurts and habits and hang-ups. And Lord, even heal the relationships that have, that have become shattered because of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Lord, I want to pray for every heart and every mind in this room that you would bring that peace that goes beyond all understanding. Help people know what they can do and what they have and what sacrifices to make because of what you did and what you had for for us in your heart and the sacrifice that you made for us. And Lord, teach us how to come to you and follow you constantly because you, you are the secret to, to, to revitalizing and, and, and recreating every broken relationship. Lord, we bring all of this to you in the name of, of our Savior Jesus. He is the healer. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I want to thank all of you for coming this, this morning. And just remember today's letter, to have a more resilient faith is evaluate all your relationships. I put a passage in here. It starts with your relationship to the Lord. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption, even the redemption of your broken relationships. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you out on the patio.